This is the City and the Sound Music Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Hode. Well, it is now 2021. We got 2020 all the way behind us. Thank God. And so with this year, you're going to have a lot of new guests, new episodes, and stuff like that. And so with this first episode of 2021, I'd like to talk about a guest who's a friend of mine, Mr. Michael Shackelford. He's a mainstay of the Birmingham music scene and bands of the future eleva- elevators and galactic engineers of magnetic sound. So before we get started with today's podcast, what I want you to do is open up your ears, expand your mind, and listen to this. here with with your michael shackleford how's Hello. it going today pretty good it's a bit rainy yeah it's it's definitely um i was listening to your guys music earlier and it was definitely like it fit the mood of what's happening today <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah very very mellow and vibey i was like all right this is the kind of music i need to be listening to today on this kind of rainy day i'll take that <laughs> some wet music some wet music <laughs> I would say that your music uh, has some uh, wet nature to it as well. You know, it's a bit moist. Yeah, well, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has some. Um, uh, I guess like uh, my music always makes me think I should only listen to it at nighttime. Like, right. But, yeah. So you're really originally from someone, you know? Yeah, <laughs> probably so. <laughs> so you're originally from uh, Birmingham, Alabama. So like, I guess tell me about like growing up in like Birmingham like what was some of the I guess music that kind of like influenced you I guess early on well okay so um moving to Birmingham pretty much as soon as I was legally able to Mm -hmm. move out of the house you know like so I moved when I was like somewhere around 17 or 18 years old you know um and yeah it's been it's been quite a journey ever since I suppose Mm -hmm. um as far as musical influences and, you know, in the Birmingham area, it's all very influential, you know, like your surroundings, Mm -hmm. um, even down to like, you know, the first apartment I lived in, uh, having a neighbor that apparently was like, uh, going through some kind of weird, like demon possession next door. And they had called in an exorcist and everything. I'm just like carrying my groceries home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I, I just see that I'm like I can't get the keys to open the door fast enough. So I can get out. Could but you it's like fine. hear that's going on like this other apartment? <laughs> it won't mess with our bubble, surely not. Uh, so I mean, like all kinds of like weird things that maybe mm. are you know technically non musical influences, just like personal life experiences, like being shot at, um, having. Uh, <laughs> having uh, a, a gang of dudes like come up and try to get into a knife fight with me one night when I'm like leaving the Nick, that was a fun experience. I nearly ran them over with my car. They all dodged <laughs> out of the way. Uh, survival tactics, I think has become like a main theme for, um, <laughs> for, for influence to like keep the drive moving. But then yeah. aside from that, like actual musical influences, um, you know, there's there's a lot of good music in the Birmingham area. A lot of people that I've played with have influenced me a great deal. Um, you know, bands like uh, Through the Sparks, featuring um, the the oh so talented Jody Nelson, and over the years, uh, Greg Slayman, the Memacacus Brothers, also. Um, th- these are sort of like local 
centric kind of guys, you know, that they're just like really talented. They play with a bunch of people. Matt Patton from the drive-by truckers, huge influence on me as a human being and as a brilliant musician that can play uh, bass on anything as well as like, you know, write his own stuff uh, in that band model citizen. That was his main thing um, for years. They haven't played a show in a while, but my God, I never got to play in a band with him except for maybe one time where we sort of like i think we improvised some random stuff down at like egan's bar in tuscaloosa mm-hmm. um, i'm rambling a bit on this question i think i just realized <laughs> that, like maybe i don't need any more coffee no i um, think those are the those are the best kind of questions <laughs> to ask uh, but yeah those those are some really solid people and like uh just brilliant musicians as far as like local local music is concerned um outside of that you know if you were to go outside the bubble of Birmingham, I'd have to put Deer Hunter on the list. Mm-hmm. They're like an Atlanta band that just their early stuff really connected with me. Whether it was the vocal effects, the the uh, the takes on the recording, you know, and mm-hmm. their their live presentation. Uh, you know, of course, it's it's pretty hard not to like Tame Impala. Like I try not to say it because I feel like it's just <laughs> such common talk these days. Uh, but they they you know like. They make some really great records, and uh, I've never seen them live, but yeah. I hear they're pretty phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, like the, the throwback stuff, you know, I go back to like Jimi Hendrix and uh, uh, Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin, you know, John Bonham, mm-hmm. John Paul Jones, not to be underappreciated uh, as a bassist and a keyboard player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you didn't like the Lennon McCartney, George and Ringo, quad then you wouldn't really know much about so many other people's influences you know so yeah, yeah that's so basic though just saying it but it's like no it's, it's actually legit it's true you know like <laughs> they influence a lot of people so nice but yeah then, then like stacks recordings another mm-hmm. thing um and like all this like the wrecking crew the house uh bands for all these like insane major studios uh, yeah 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 insane, mm-hmm. like the motown scene like all that stuff is like very close to the heart for me so so like when anyway. you were, um, uh, i guess like growing up when was like the first instrument that like you like grabbed you and like i guess started you on your path to music well <clears throat> definitely drums i remember being in the garage and my dad uh being a drummer had his own drum kit of course mm-hmm. like before that i was like a, a baby and he like set me up you know on his lap and like let me bang all the drums with the sticks it probably sounded something awful you know yeah <laughs> but they're probably like oh god we're just trying to tear down you know it's the end of the show the last thing when <laughs> baby playing the drums mm-hmm. uh, but then like you know there's a snare drum out in the garage so i used to kind of bang around on it and i think they're like maybe we should give him a real drum kit instead of just a snare drum so that ended up happening my granddad gave me some lessons and uh so yeah, it's all very like rhythmic to start, you know, it was all about drums and, and percussion and then things sort of went towards guitar. And the natural progression was to like tinker on the bass a little bit mm-hmm. and then start messing around with like some recordings on those little Tascam, like four track recorders, you know, that uh, they're like the holy grail of like demo capturing, uh, in my opinion even with all that high-end hiss it's just going yeah. like the whole time there's something about the character and the warmth of just having like a cassette with your recording on it and of course every time you hit play for somebody you have to like mix it because <laughs> it's like the next song won't have the same parameters yeah. as the previous one so like no wait guys that wasn't the t- now, let me let me play it for you one more time now that i've got this tweaked out you know um anyways <laughs> but yeah so it was it was drums to start nice like who were your i guess like when you were playing drums, like who your earliest influences was it your dad or was there also like you know, like famous drummers who also kind of influenced like the drum style you were learning? Well, uh, it was it's kind of weird because my granddad was uh, actually the one that paid to get me some drum lessons, mm-hmm. and so um, weird story like the guy that I got drum lessons from is currently at this point my boss now. Like I didn't, <laughs> it wasn't part of my plan. I was just like applying to be a teacher at a music school. Mm-hmm. Um, and turns out he was the guy that owned it. I was like, well, weird. So anyway, um, but yeah, so, um, basically like 
uh, my dad being a drummer also, you know, that had some influence mm -hmm. the, the styles, you know, of who influenced me. I mean, you could be influenced by something and sound nothing like, yeah. You know, but like Buddy Rich was one of those guys that was like the impossible, like unearthly levels of drumming that you just like, it's unreachable, but you can mm -hmm. just like sit in awe and amazement at watching somebody like that. Um, and I don't play like that at all. You know, I'm like very minimalist. I just want to keep the beat mm -hmm. and like make sure that nothing sounds too far out of place. <laughs> you know? uh, whereas like he's the complete opposite of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, my granddad's band was actually like a country western band and they played and um they were called the archers by the way yeah they, mm. but they they played in like different uh venues like vfws or like mm -hmm. on this crazy show on like wbrc like channel six um or channel three i can't remember which one it is <sighs> i'm terrible with the news anyways but they they had like an uh, early morning like 5 a.m to like 6 a.m i think um little slot to play on the show called country boy eddie mm -hmm. it was kind of a big thing in like the 70s and 80s i think uh like a variety show but just mm -hmm. at a freakishly early hour in the day you know <laughs> um so anyways there were some weird influences there with family being musicians um my mother playing bass and guitar my uncle playing guitar um so like yeah it was it was around me and they never really forced it on me i think that's why i gravitated towards it eventually they were, they were, they were supportive when it started to become more interesting to me, but they never were like, you have to do this, you know? Yeah. So that was cool. I'm, I'm taking the same approach with my daughter who's like six now and has like a guitar and like, I've gotten her, I got her a little toy drum kit, when she was two. She barely touched that thing, but like, you know, just like little, little hints of, you know, what you want to pass on. It's like sort of paying it forward, I guess. But Anyways, I hope that answered the question a little I bit. I think you did. <laughs> but, like where the influences came. I don't know. Yeah, like John Bonham definitely, definitely yeah. one. I like I like Ringo's style of drumming a lot, and uh, as well, you know, or like the those like '60s rock drummers, you know, that just kind of like nailed the garage rock sound. And mm -hmm. maybe there's something a little overdriven about their performance, like the Kinks drummers uh, yeah. sound, you know. Anyways, yeah, so. I feel like Ringo is an underappreciated drummer. I like at least it's like someone like John Bonham or uh, like someone like Stuart Copeland or um, those people that really appreciated where Ringo is like, oh, he's a drummer for the Beatles. Like, yeah, but he had to hold such a beat in the space of that band, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, oh man, the the uh, the drummers in all those like bands like the Wrecking Crew or, or mm -hmm. the Motown uh and stacks like all those guys there's sort of like a revolving door of a bunch of different musicians that would kind of come yeah, in like, out of i think it's uh, hal blaine i think was in the wrecking crew like he was really good right exactly yeah. mm -hmm. uh some of those guys actually sort of migrated through a couple of those different scenes i didn't realize that till not too long ago but some of the guys that pop up in like you know the motown scene mm -hmm. like went out to be in the wrecking crew yeah at some point. i was like whoa okay that's why it sounds so familiar in some sort of ways like the rhythm section might would actually be the same you know yeah. <laughs> so that was fun but. Mm -hmm. one thing um like when was i guess the moment you started like to like going from like you know developing like working on music and stuff then like writing your own songs i guess hmm. okay so <clears throat> well, well i'm sorry i admit that something was like a little fuzzy on the first part of that statement what was it again so, like, what was the moment, like, you went from, like, just, like, I guess, you know, playing music and rehearsing it to, like, writing your own songs and, like, practicing, I guess, songwriting as a craft? Okay, so, uh, okay, uh, totally nerding out over bands like Jimi Hendrix or, like, Soundgarden mm -hmm. or Van Halen and, like, high school, Radiohead, you know, the, yeah. the, like, the Benz era, stuff like that, uh, kind of got me excited about trying my hand at writing of course i was already i was in like a high school band at the time called shelton and uh <laughs> and i'm still friends with those guys we don't talk as much as we used to uh, i'm a little closer with shane who used to be like the guitar player main writer he's um got a couple of really cool projects going on right now um and uh like he's always doing something fresh and new but uh he's uh he he was definitely kind of a, a strangely like a cool influence because he was dabbling into like recording realm mm -hmm. of things and it got me curious about that realm so 
I kind of thought, oh, well, if I record some stuff, I could try out playing multiple instruments at mm-hmm. once. And so like immediately that sort of became part of the process was like, how do you like put things on top of each other? How do, how do you like mm-hmm. sort of like harmonize with yourself or like yeah. align some things up? Uh, and that, that was like really fun and very stimulating still is like a, like a kid in the candy store, you know, mm-hmm. whenever you finally get like some time in your day where you could go back and do that. That's like, you know, I, I do all these things so that I can sort of come back to that mm-hmm. if I can. But yeah, it was right around like age 16, I think when that's that sort of fascination started to really kind of snowball into um, some kind of positive momentum for me. Um, of course, none of that stuff I could even bear to listen to at all. <laughs> you know, like right now, I'd be like, ooh, I'd be like cringing the whole time. Yeah. But that's not too different from like anything else uh, before it's like, you know, finished and sounds okay mm-hmm. enough to be like, okay, that's it. I'm done with it for a while. Like, you know, uh, I feel like it's Scott Walker was one of those kind of guys that was that way. When he finished a record, he would never listen to it ever again. Yeah. I'm not quite that extreme with it i might go back and like check it out and just see what's up okay mm-hmm. hey, i can still finish things yeah it did happen i could do that again so um you know um but but for the most part it's like yeah like i, I can relate with the whole once you're done just like move on and start focusing on the new things and try when you when you're not cringing anymore when you listen to it that's mm-hmm. when it's done right so when you're actually feeling like joy, when you listen back, that's, well, it's that's good. When, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Would you consider yourself like, I guess, speaking of people like, you know, like uh, Kevin Park from Tame Paula, and I think about someone like Prince who like, you know, kind of goes in and plays with instruments. Would you consider yourself like, I guess, uh, would you say like a virtuoso kind of in that sense of like, you know, making like, you know, or just, or, the, or would you say like you more of like kind of when you, you have an idea of what the vibe is going to be. And so you kind of can capture what you hear in your mind, like making that kind of stuff. Honestly, the whole process, as much as it is playful and fun, it's still very mysterious yeah. to me because I never know, like it's never like the same thing works twice, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm very humbled by that. Uh, and I'm grateful. Like, I can never get anything out the right way, you know, um, because it'll, it'll take the weirdest, most surprising things to like churn out the thing that was missing the whole mm-hmm. time it seemed and then there's always like weird freak things that happen in the music industry like uh, covid you know yeah <laughs> but the music industry thing obviously but like you know it can definitely take one's attention off of like playing shows and focus more on writing so that in a weird way um has kind of like steered us or steered me and uh in that sort of way but um yeah like I, no i wouldn't consider myself a virtuoso i consider myself a guy that like can do some things pretty good mm-hmm. but uh has a lot to learn about yeah. the overall thing anytime in life i i found that if i ever got cocky for like one second i'm immediately reminded by the universe that is the wrong attitude and that you can't <laughs> be that way and be successful because you're going to overlook the things that are most important about yeah. the process which is like you know, humility and uh, sort of seeing the forest for the trees and seeing how fragile the whole thing really is, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or not. But <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I really like about your music a lot is that there's a really nice sense of a, a kind of space and ambience. Is it like a goal when kind of making it to kind of have like a sort of a spacey type of sound with instrument instrumentation? Sometimes, yeah. Uh, it is It is nice to kind of have some... Uh, differentiation between the dry and sort of in your face presence mm-hmm. yeah. versus the, uh, the, like the long, like dark ambient thing. Uh, there was a thing I referred to on the future elevators album, um, as the psychedelic layers, like basically that the record had gotten to a point where all the main, like planned out instrumentation was there. Mm-hmm. But I felt like there was just a lot of stuff missing somehow. But I was like, I don't really want to like arrange any other like parts or try to orchestrate any more parts. So I just feel like there needs to be something like kind of raw and psychedelic in nature that just sort of like makes things kind of gel together a little bit more or like mm-hmm. stand out even. So, you know, there was like whole days devoted to just trying to make 
some like weird ear candy stuff happened just to kind of like fill in the spaces a little bit. And that was like a really fun part. Cause I didn't know whether it was going to be just like holding one note on a mm-hmm. synthesizer that was just completely going crazy and then disintegrating and then like adding a bunch of weird effects and panning it all crazy or putting phase on it or whatever. Or if it was going to be like, you know, you know, hitting like a cardboard box, you know, to try to like mimic the kick drum or, or just like, uh, taking some weird field samples and like, you know, putting them in there, trying to capture the sound of like the ocean waves and just sort of overlay those. And I think it was in the song, uh, uh, everything everywhere that has, um, that has like the, the sound of the ocean, <laughs> uh, sort of just kind of like overdubbed in one part when there's this like weird sort of Arabic scale that comes in out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And like, it's really fast, like, trill picking uh i was like yeah it would be weird to feel like you got hit with a wave, wave yeah. of, of like actual like audio from from the ocean to go along with that sound because i thought it would be kind of like foreign and just kind of throw you off you know <laughs> so how did you anyway. um, i guess like what was it kind of like how did you come up with like i guess the formation of future elevators starting that well uh there was this demo that I was working on mm-hmm. and that's uh, that demo. I just randomly sort of named future elevators. Yeah. That I never saw the light of day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and it just sort of kind of sat there collecting dust, but I liked the concept of what was going on sonically with it. Mm-hmm. I was kind of trying to combine like, you know, electronic elements with, with guitar. And it's not like that's never been done before. This has yeah. been going on for a long time, but I had never tried it. So it was kind of new to me. Um, and so, I don't know. And something about trying to make the guitar not sound like a guitar was mm-hmm. fun on that demo. And, you know, just, I don't know, like the element there was like, okay, that at least kind of informs me of a, a potentially um, workable name, whether it's a song or a, or yeah. a band or, uh, you know, even just like the sort of like soundscape concept. And then, I started thinking about, well, who could, uh, you know, if I got to actually record this and like represent it the way I was hoping, who would I get to play? And so the whole time I'm like recording the album, I'm like out there looking for people that Mm -hmm. I think would be really good to play with. The first person that came to mind was uh, Rami Nardini. And he was playing with um, a couple different people in Birmingham at the time, but I, I thought, wow, this guy, he used to work at Renaissance Records. He's got like a really good uh, taste in like music already. And he, he always like, you know, he always like sort of looked apart, you know? And I had no idea he would play guitar, but when I found out he played guitar, I was like, oh, man, that'd be a good guy to ask just to see. Cause I heard, I heard his playing was actually really good. He had some good effects, you know, like just really tasteful mm-hmm. reverbs good crisp clean guitar tone come to find out he's like actually playing guitar that that um the actual guitar that was used in a band that i was and when i was like 20 21 years old like from like 20 to 22 and uh the guy that was in that band glenn sold it and gave it to, him. to another guy yeah. that was in the band chris and then somehow wound up to uh to like rami and i was like this is that's really crazy. weird right now <laughs> like this guitar is like made a full mm-hmm. circle back around to being in a band with me um but anyways and by a different player too so yeah. it felt kind of serendipitous uh planning that whole thing out that was just sort of take what you can get because it's a new project and another band i was in was sort of falling apart or fizzling out at the time mm-hmm. so it was uh and and fortunately i was able to get some really good musicians to play to play with uh but you know nothing really ever goes exactly according to plan you just mm-hmm. sort of like try to readjust and make the most of your scenarios and uh i think all things considered it, it turned out like a, a pretty fun pretty successful run for everybody um while we were still doing shows and, and things like that so was it kind of cool i guess because like the music you kind of recorded solo was it kind of was it an interesting kind of uh I guess, way to tackle it and try to like bring that music to like a live setting. It was definitely challenging because there's a lot of stuff that I just did thinking like, I may never get to do another album ever again. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to think about making some kind of sonic 
last impression. Yeah. Uh, uh, lasting impression, I should say. And, and in, in some ways I thought this could be the last record I ever made because uh, at that point in time, like my daughter was sort of like on her way to joining us in this realm, you know? Mm. So uh, I was thinking, yeah, I'm totally going to dad town and <laughs> music may not be the same for me ever yeah. again. It, it hasn't been, but it's still been there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, so that state of mind I don't know, I suppose probably pretty impossible to recreate, but it, it, it was definitely sort of a driving force as to like getting me to be uh, like actually finalizing a lot of things. And, you know, that's sort of like lighting the fire under your ass kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like better get it right now. Cause this might be your last chance. Time, you had to get it. Yeah. You know? So uh, yeah, but that, that was definitely a, uh, like an, an inspiration if you will <laughs> so like what was the i guess the difference i guess would you say like between like the future elevators work and then the work you do with galactic engineers of magnetic sounds you say like what's the difference the yeah difference? Mm-hmm. it's ashley ashley is the main inspiration for all that stuff so like i was in the process of making a second future elevators record mm-hmm and things weren't going really well, like industry wise in, in regards to like getting that finalized. And there's still kind of like, it turned into a very much a back burner thing just because of the state of like the record label going into a little bit more of a like contemplative hibernative mm-hmm. uh, sort of state. So um, when there's like eight to 10 records that are all dying to come out, you know, trying to be like me, 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 like I want my record to come out now. Like, isn't really going to cut it. The attitude, you know, is like everything. So I'd be grateful if the second record came out, you know, but it wouldn't really upset me too much if the two years of work I put in that didn't come out because of things like gems or galactic engineers of magnetic sounds, mm-hmm. I should say, because there are some other bands out there named gems, but they're not as good as us. So. <laughs> Actually, I don't, I don't know. I haven't listened to much of it, but the, but the thing is, uh, yeah, all the stuff comes from Ashley. So, you know, we were friends, then we were uh, more than friends and then we got married. And after all that, she was like, you want to teach me drum lessons? I was like, sure. I mean, I'm a teacher. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that, you know, like I could probably do that if you want. So, um, so she sort of approached me about it and I was like, yeah, this will be fun. And I just thought, you know, like I do with a lot of my students, um, if they get to that point where they're keeping a beat pretty well, mm-hmm. I, I wanted them to get the experience uh, of playing with other people. Like I got when I was learning how to play, that was like a big turning point for me. Like, Oh wait, it's not just me. Like in my bedroom, just drumming, you know, like I get to make music with other people. All of a sudden it takes everything to a new height. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wanted to give that to her, but I didn't want to just play like ACDC or like, you know, Rolling Stones riffs while she mm-hmm. was learning some of these beats, even though she could play those beats really yeah. well, mm-hmm. you know, like the Charlie Watts thing, you know. Uh, but uh, it just sort of happened that those beats were really, really inspiring and uh, they had some good energy to it. For and, and there's like something that you can't replace in a new drummer and the level of excitement that comes mm-hmm. with a new drummer. Uh, they could play something like totally raw, like brute art style. And it will just fill you up with like fuel and fire when you're, when you're playing guitar with them uh, in ways that you can't get from a perfect drummer, like uh, in, in you know, whatever might be considered like a, like Nashville music scene, perfect drummer uh, where everything is like, you know, quantized for whatever yeah. guy to like, yeah. To the performance the drummer quantized it perfectly himself mm-hmm. while he was performing it uh now that being said that's not a mark on her tempos at all her tempos are really good she's got great feel um but that little bit of swing was like that's what made some of the stuff feel really nice for me and so like everything is based around her feel and trying to preserve that and just kind of complement it um it just sort of like it's like it just pushed guitar riffs out of me and like some 
um, some keyboard stuff came out too. Although live, we're really more like garage guitar like mm-hmm. kind of thing than we are on the recording. But I've got a lot of stuff I've been sitting on till I've uh, gotten it run through the proper channels for release. But um, anyways, I'll keep you posted on all that stuff. It's it's like bursting at the seams. But I want to have like a few things ready to roll whenever I push that out. That way, it's like mm-hmm. bam. Three months later, bam. Three months later, bam. And hopefully that gets some nice momentum going. So, but anyways. So with, I guess with uh, gyms, is it like, is it, um, because I guess previously, you know, you were working with people who you kind of just met and like introduced them to the music you were making. Is it a lot easier to work with like someone like your wife where it's just your really comes kind of close contact and like making the music together? And it's like, is that easier kind of working relationship? It's, it's pretty flowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as we actually have the energy to do it because yeah. we have, we have, you know, other things we got to do during mm-hmm. the day, uh, like with teaching and take care of a six-year-old, you know? Um, and then every now and then you just have to really like dive in and just watch some kind of like stupid TV or something to like, yeah. Turn. <laughs> um, yeah, like making sure that like we're feeling okay for it, trying to treat that as like a sacred thing mm-hmm. where you, if you're doing it, you're doing it for the right reasons and it's enjoyable. That's like, that's a pretty big part of our process. And, uh, that has made it easy for us to work together. Uh, we used to push it a little harder and I think it was taking a toll where yeah. we would, we you know, get a sitter for the night and go down to the practice space, uh, and just go till like three or four or 5. AM. And we still occasionally will do that, but it's, it's more like we can do things in the house now without having to, to set mm-hmm. up so much stuff down there. Anyways, well, yeah, the, the energy flows pretty nicely between the two of us. When we're both in the mood to do it, um, it seems like the universe allows it to happen a lot more so, and we could just kind of go, you know? But uh, if one of us is not feeling right, it's like all of a sudden these brick walls start showing up, and it's like this isn't the right thing to do right now. Let's just it, – it's better to be, like, a little more raw and unrehearsed and have the right energy than it is to be – over rehearsed and burning it out you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, to the point where you don't enjoy it anymore so you know it's taking it however it comes and trying to make the most out of it <laughs> nice um would you say i also know you're a teacher as well would you say like um if you like what i guess is more fulfilling like making your own music and kind of having it out in the world and stuff and like getting perform it or i guess teaching someone music and they learn their music and like have them make it as far as like you know like them, you set them on the path to make their own music. Are there as equal fulfilling or is one more fulfilling than the other? Would you say? So basically what you're saying, uh, like for me, is it more fulfilling or like which, I, which would I present more towards like students of mine? Is, I guess to you, which, which is more fulfilling? I think it's, it's definitely more fulfilling to make mm-hmm. your own music, mm-hmm. but you know, like it all came from somewhere else. So you have to kind of, learn other people's music anyways which the teaching job has been really good for mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and it's sort of like passing that that torch down to another generation if you can if you can kind of help steer them mm-hmm. to finding themselves not steer them to finding your way just whatever they're supposed to be whatever they you know they desire to be um uh that's that's sort of like that's important but for me yeah it's definitely uh it's definitely more filling to come up with my own thing. But at the same time, I don't, I don't really like driving around listening to my own music once it's done. Mm-hmm. Like I only listen to my own stuff if I'm in the process of making it. Mm-hmm. And then I'd like, Oh God, anything but that, please. <laughs> <laughs> like, please give me some music. Actually, I might ask for your recommendation on some stuff. Uh, if you got any, any, anything you'd like to, to throw my way, I've always like, open for those kind of text messages or whatever so you know it's really funny a question i always ask is uh what are you listening to so i'm also down for new music that i haven't listened to because i feel like i've listened to the same circling music process the last like two months yeah we'll do the trade then yeah Sounds good. uh i already told you a, a few of, of mine uh i just heard today like a friend dropped on facebook this like eight bit version of stereo lab songs <laughs> so i mean two things i love a lot 8-bit music 8-bit, and, stereo lab put them together 
it was great. I felt yeah. like I was playing like a, you know, some video game from like my childhood that never actually existed, you know, mm. <laughs> and that was the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question, I think, um, would you say like, uh, I know like the kind of genre you guys play can kind of blur the music you make can blur between like psychedelic to lo-fi and everything. Would you say you kind of, kind of concern yourself i guess from the moment of the kind of genre like you're making or you kind of just it kind of is what it is you know once you make it there's no kind of emphasis on like making sure that fits into a genre box yeah i think that uh the way things go with with that process of just trying to write something it's just whatever i could think most of the time it's just whatever comes out you know i'm really not trying to focus on this has to be in the genre a lot of the time then every now and then i'm like okay i gotta like make this relatable because this weird just like fuzzed out three minute guitar solo of me mm. just wanking it doesn't sound very good right now so <laughs> so i have to like dial it down a bit yeah. the restraint part of the process has been pretty crucial though like if you could restrain yourself from mm-hmm. doing dumb things uh you know save yourself a lot of frustration and post or like in, in the back end that's that's that whole like treating it like it's sort of sacred thing you know just making sure the energy's right when you go to do it so that it actually uh comes out as something enjoyable uh yeah that that hadn't that took me kind of a, a long time to sort of figure that one out mm-hmm. i used to just i still occasionally will struggle with like not knowing when to just stop and like all these like a whole night of like overdubs and weird things i just the next day i listen i'm like delete you know <laughs> um and then go back to like the score the 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 kele- uh, the score the skeleton the skeleton the mm-hmm. core let's see i took those words to mess them up right there perfect example but um anyways you get the idea that like the the drums and the bass are are like probably the bass drums and vocals are things that i, I consider like the the skeleton yeah you know so if if those things happen right uh then the other layers can sort of happen Mm -hmm. i don't want to hex it because i've got some potentially really cool like collaborations coming up with some people and uh i actually was thinking about asking you if you'd be interested in collaborating sometime too oh i'm down podcast uh (laughs) plug i'm always down (laughs) You can tell me no, like after the fact, you'd be like, <laughs> I'm going to edit this part out. Of the part. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you got a great voice and oh, uh, thank you. really good guitar tone, like very tasteful energy when you're playing live stuff. So maybe that we could, we could make something happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm always at some point. I feel like I've been, um, been here for the last, um, you know, four or five months and I've not, not made any new music. It's kind of with COVID and everything. It's sort of like a just depression. <laughs> just like I can't make anything, you know. So anything. It's heavy. Yeah, anything to make new music, I'm always down for. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, like all politics or anything like that. But yeah. I feel like I can just like wipe the sweat off my brow. Yes. A little bit. Yeah. Just barely, you know. Like, yeah. Like obviously, I think actually not just barely, like drastically. <laughs> but hopefully, in in the near future. Yeah. Uh, from where things were yeah but uh that's it see we just left it just like that we didn't go too deep into it so <laughs> how has it how has it been i guess has it been kind of adjusting to everything that's been happening like you know with coronavirus and all that you know kind of because you know early this year you know you guys played a show with us and everything and you were playing shows and now it's just like there's like no there's a no show you know block like how is it kind of adapting to that i mean you know what i could i could show you i've been i've been adding a lot of stuff to the home project studio. So at the very least, you know, everybody's freaking out and buying toilet paper mm-hmm. and uh, I'm doing the stupid thing of like buying music gear, like <laughs> except I'm not going to wipe my ass with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like, so I got this free piano, this like mm-hmm. hundred year old piano and oh, nice. it sounds haunted. It was definitely haunted about a half step flat. And then I, I tuned it up. And I'm going to like retune it like periodically about every week or two. I'm going to go back and try to tune it. Um, so I've been teaching myself how to tune a piano through YouTube videos, which rule actually. And and then um, got some good, like, you know, I call it good, like entry level, good preamps and compressors and stuff and some, some mics. So really just kind of putting some attention in on 
being able to do as much as I can from mm-hmm. the house uh, has been like the main goal during COVID because it's been all you could really do is just kind of, you know, try to uh, improve whatever kind of recording setup you got so that you can make something sound close to the industry standard, you know, yeah, and uh, without having to outsource, you know, labor or another studio or mm-hmm. potentially another COVID scenario you know yeah so um that's that's really all it's, it's been like for us we probably we did like one show that was like broadcast from the house mm-hmm. and then we did a, i take it back we did two shows one early on during covid quarantine um from from the house for uh this house party at the 606 uh which you probably have played at some point i bet right like ben ricketts mississippi guy originally he's from like oxford i think i, I know ben uh, i don't know if i've played the 606 that sounds familiar though so house party yeah scenario you know you probably any given show there is like a completely packed house so you're like literally worried the floor is going to cave in there's so many, <laughs> there's so many people in it. and they're all jumping up and down yeah. like mm-hmm. the whole time that's like I don't even want to reveal my age, but that's how you can tell I'm like a little older. I'm like, oh, you kids are going to get hurt doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, shut up, Michael. Remember to restrain yourself. Um, anyways. So uh, anyways, uh, yeah, that's, that's been, oh, the other show was like a, a like a birthday party mm-hmm. and we were in a garage about like 20 feet away from everybody. Yeah. And I, to do like a totally instrumental set where I didn't sing at all mm-hmm. and I kind of felt like that was the most COVID appropriate way for me to say yes to a show um, <laughs> was to be that far away from people yeah. outside mm-hmm. and not sing so yeah. I wasn't spraying any, any germs yeah yeah um, and that was actually kind of fun like just doing all instrumental stuff like mm-hmm. kind of like a dream for me to just not sing for a change and just focus on playing the guitar uh, yeah that was a lot of fun so Nice. Um, I guess one thing you've kind of been like entrenched in a Birmingham scene for a long time, I guess, how would you say like of the last five or so years or so, like how has the Birmingham scene, you know, like changed as far as music? Um, and I guess even so you could even like extend that to the city as far as like the changing tide of it, you know, there's some good labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, that definitely uh, has technically always been the case. There have been a couple of good labels at the very least, you know, that were really pushing things. And uh, but back early days when I was kind of getting into actually being included in that scene a little more, it was pretty much like Sky Bucket was like the only one that I really knew of. And and now like uh, the Sky Bucket is really no more. But, um, but you know, out of that came like the Secret Stages thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Travis Morgan was the driving force of, of both those entities or, or at least uh, a driving force a big one in the secret stages thing. And, uh, and then of course, Jeffrey Kane with communicating vessels, uh, sort of helped blow things up quite a bit here, you know, like there was a lot more, um, like cool local records getting mm-hmm. put out. Um, earth libraries. I have a lot of respect for what they're doing right now. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, pretty much like, like almost, I haven't heard all of their stuff, but like everything that I've heard has been like really, really fun. Mm-hmm. I think they put out the art. No, they definitely did put out the R. Stevie Moore um, things uh, recently, a couple of really cool things. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever listened to him, but he's just sort of like a guy that did a lot of multi-track recordings on his own home mm-hmm. project studio style and mm-hmm. just did all the overdubs, played all the instruments. And, you know, it's like some crazy sort of like middle-aged, psychedelic Beatles style, like yeah. lo-fi kind of thing. You probably mm-hmm. already heard of it anyways, but uh, yeah, that, that kind of stuff, uh, whether he, whether or not he was from Birmingham or not, or Steve Moore got released on Birmingham label. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of why that was included. But yeah, I mean, um, I, I like weird stuff though. You know, like somebody might be like, this is the best band ever. And I might be like, they're good. They're definitely really talented, but, you know, my personal tastes might be that like up and coming sort of really rough around the edges band. that has got yeah. something special that like they're in the transformative phase, mm-hmm. sort of like about to find 
something really amazing about their sound and just run with it. Um, I could actually say that those guys, uh, Wax Fur, are like the current version of that for me. I really like the stuff they're doing. They just put out a cassette. I just I hit them up on Instagram the other day. It was like, where can I get a copy? You know. <laughs> Uh, they're like, just Venmo some money, we'll mail it to you today. And they went ahead and sent it before I even paid them. And I was like, you guys are awesome. Uh, it turns out we actually have a practice space together. Like we're practicing at the same storage unit. Oh, dope. So I didn't even know that until like after we had like played a show. I was like, wait, you guys are at the same storage unit. <laughs> so yeah, they they know what's up. Yeah. But um, yeah, that that's like you know a good example of some things. Uh, and, and having like played with a bunch of people like like there's not really i haven't heard anything in uh, forever that i just thought was like wow this is not good yeah. it's just a lot of overflowing stuff and i imagine it's not just like it's it's not just like that here obviously there's probably so much stuff like bursting at the seams in like every scene i just happen to be closer to this one when it comes to like getting to hear some of that stuff like there's a pretty uh, stellar scene at what, from what I gathered in Hattiesburg, you know, like where we connected in uh, Thirsty Hippo. Yeah, there's a there's a really good scene. Um, I, I guess kind of I had to do an interview with the paper recently talking about it, and there's just like I was uh, they asked me kind of like what was the kind of worried it, 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 how music's going to be post COVID. My always worry is that I hope none of the local kind of venues and stuff like that that host local bands. We'll have to close because then we'll give local, you know, bands a home to kind of play and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I hope that the venues, or at least most of them, can survive. Actually, I hope all of them could survive. Yeah, you know, but uh, but uh, yeah, we already lost to Caledonia. That was heartbreaking for me. Hmm. I know that's not in Mississippi, but uh, just you know, a story that could be more common here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so tough. I'm not going to get into like trying to weigh out the lives of high risk people versus yeah you know indie rock venues that could be gone forever you know because mm-hmm. obviously like a life is more important than that but uh but the, you know those those indie rock venues and musicians like getting to still make music in in the future like that's still really important too so it's it's like oh man trying to figure out solutions for that these are the kind of conversations i like to have with people even if you don't get all the right answers at least you're like working towards something that might be like a solution for everybody you know mm-hmm. um so yeah i hope i hope that um more more venues can come up with creative ways to stay afloat during times like these yeah the online concert thing seems pretty cool you know like it, it's definitely a safe way to do it and then outdoor shows um i don't know i sort of like just side railed over here into this topic from like the, the music scenes of different places, but they are sort of, you know, heavily dependent a lot of times on venues, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, express your music through those venues and whatnot. And people can get that experience of a show. Um, but anyways, I don't know. Gotta be safe. Gotta be responsible. So true. You know. I guess before we uh, kind of wrap it up here, Mike, what would, what would you say like some of the music actually you've been kind of listening to in quarantine as kind of the music you've been kind of digging on recently? Mm. That's, that's a good question. Mm. Recently. Well, I've been doing a lot of picking out some songs for, <laughs> for my students, mm-hmm. um, which is always fascinating. I never know what it's going to be, you know, like it could be like, you know, some like, 17 year old uh kid playing bass who's like really just now catching on to like you know some radiohead album yeah that was put out like you know when i was a kid when i was like 13 years old like okay computer he's like just now getting exposed to that and i'm like and see he got muse before he got radiohead so to him radiohead kind of sounds like a muse Muse, sort of thing you know what i mean yeah but it was the other way around for me, uh, it's sort of like whatever door you go into, you know, if you if you heard like, you know, television before the strokes, you know, you'd be like, the strokes sound like television with the guitars, you know. Yeah. But but for me, I mean, honestly, I have, I've been trying to open up a bit. Kali Ukas. He's really uh, good, yeah. Oh, man. The After the Storm song, mm-hmm. I I have to be, I have to just like kind of wipe a tear every time I hear it. <laughs> Because I'll just drive around, just sitting here, like experiencing the euphoria of sound, and just like, oh man, I feel 
feel like I just get like a soul bath, you know, yeah. whenever mm-hmm. I, uh, whenever I hear that song. Uh, I, I, I still go back and listen to a lot of stuff that I used to be really influenced by. Um, but, um, yeah, I, it's weird. I, I, I go through phases like this recently where I don't really listen to a lot of music mm-hmm. because I'm so busy making stuff. I need to get more into like listening to references and like taking in new content. But, uh, it's kind of fun to get into like bootlegs. Sometimes yeah. I'll get into like bootlegs, you know, of, of weird demos that never reach the surface except somehow by accident. And you get to hear like this little, you know, snippet of something that, um, that shows like it, uh, the true nature of the origins of the song, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of fun for me. You can hear like even the greatest bands of all time and their bootlegs, like the early, you know, like demos of something will be like, just as raw and and you know crazy as the and, and as lo-fi as the mm-hmm. stuff that like you'll be making so yeah. it'll make you feel good at like oh well you can take it from there and go there or you can enjoy it for what it is and just release a bunch of lo-fi stuff and i might end up doing that at some point too but anyways um instrumental instrumental music link ray i'm a huge fan He's of that so good yeah yeah um you know that surf guitar sort of sound that happened in a lot of instrumental bands in the 60s i know his wasn't technically surf even though i kind of sort of getting into some of those soundscapes with like the reverb the fender reverb mm-hmm. sound uh, but I, I yeah i love that kind of stuff so um yeah like i listened to that wax fur cassette that was fun and uh they, that was quite a, a ride to listen to you know like listen to a cassette of a, a new band. I haven't done that in a while. So that, that was the closest feeling I've had to like going to a local show. Yeah. COVID, you know, just like buying your, you know, like supporting your local artist kind of thing and just like diving in with some headphones that, that felt really nice. But Nice. Well, I really want to thank you, Mike. I really love your music. I can't wait to just like look forward to the kind of stuff you're making soon. So I really likewise man so welcome to birmingham uh by the way and uh dude yeah birmingham just got like a seriously talented guy (laughs) thank you moved here so glad to have you cool thanks man well i'll definitely i'll make a uh, i usually i'm pretty good making playlists i'll just i'll make you one of you at spotify i'll just like i'll send you it you know that would be wonderful yeah cool absolutely i could use it right Some, some you know outsourcing some influences would be wonderful awesome dude well i will talk to you later mike all right man thanks for having me no problem and ash wish she could be here she was actually uh working at the moment so ah gotcha well i'd like to thank mr michael shackleford for being the guest on today's podcast if you like the music you hear here you can look up his music on streaming platforms it's galactic engineers of magnetic sounds as well as his other band future elevators i'll see you guys in the next one and let's have a good 2021